Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go, go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people, because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy Lawson. You're listening to This Week at VA. This is episode 20. Many of you tuned into last week's episode featuring Secretary Shulkin. If you haven't had the chance to do that yet, I recommend checking that out after you're finished with this episode. Just check the feed or library of whatever platform you use to listen, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you're listening via the blog, uh, simply click on the category This Week at VA. You'll see all the episodes there. Secretary Shulkin's is episode 19. Secretary Shulkin answers a number of questions regarding his commitment to veterans and continuing the improvements at VA. So thank you to Secretary for for joining us and everybody who's taken an opportunity to listen to that interview. One question I get a lot about VA is where do I go for X or there are so many numbers I don't know which one to use and I get it. I had those same challenges when I was using VA's education benefits just a few years ago. The first place I recommend anybody going if they're simply looking for information regarding benefits is explore.va.gov. A lot of information there, and it can guide you uh, to the right avenues and websites and uh, et cetera that you need regarding any particular uh, benefit or service provided by VA. If you have a question or concern regarding your care at your medical center, I suggest uh, talking with your patient advocate. They can definitely guide you. In any circumstance, if you are a veteran that you know are experiencing a crisis, you should absolutely always call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-8255. And then there's myhealth.va.gov. Most of you know that is My Healthy Vet. Uh, that's an online tool that allows you to do a number of things like refill prescriptions or even talk to your doctor online. If you've exhausted all of the sites and numbers uh, that you know that you've been provided and uh, you're just sort of at a loss, I recommend using our inquiry routing and information system. This can be accessed by simply going to va.gov and clicking contact us. When you ask a question through this portal, it will be available for multiple response centers and VA personnel to take care of. The goal is for these questions to be answered within five days, but many resolved in less than 24 hours. This is just another avenue that veterans can use to gain information about claims, compensation, benefits, and other questions or inquiries that you have regarding uh, VA and the services they provide. A special shout-out to the National Call Center in Salt Lake for finishing number one in quality among their call centers in fiscal year 2016. I know I just admitted VA has a lot of places for contact, and then I gave you a bunch more, but VA does provide a lot of different services But I promise you, there's always someone able to answer the question that you have. Today's interview is with Army veteran Bobby Henline. Bobby and I spoke over Skype just a few weeks ago, and it was probably the most entertaining conversation I've had yet for this podcast. Bobby is a burn survivor and has used comedy to cope with his experience. 
He is not shy about making fun of his appearance or his injuries, and you'll notice that even I can't help but laugh at his jokes. I hope you find Bobby just as fun and as admirable as I do. All right, Bobby Henline, Army veteran, sir, thank you so much for joining me on This Week at VA. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm going to uh, introduce you by simply reading your Twitter profile because I think this probably best sums it up. Uh, Four-tour Iraqi war veteran, burn survivor, comedian, motivational speaker, and all-around badass. Uh, We will touch on each one of those points. uh, But let's start with the one thing that all of us have in common uh, here on uh, on the show, and that is... Uh, deciding to join the United States military. Uh, can you bring us to that day for you when you decided to, to enlist? Yeah, the first time I enlisted, I was actually 17. My uncle talked me into it. I grew up a Navy brat. Wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And my uncle's like, we should go in the military together. Let's do the Army. I'm like, yeah, we should do that. we got to do some of our lives. <laughs> and uh, we both went and took the ASVAB. My uncle failed the test. <laughs> And I passed and went in by myself. But uh, I did Desert Storm at 19. And so I was in 89 to 92, and I got out for 10 years. And then after 9-11, you know, I knew I had to go back in. So uh, October 31st, 2001, I was back at basic training, starting all over from scratch. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was so, quite an adventure. Yeah, so, I mean, what did you uh, – I mean, the the audience knows this is one – um, this is a subject that I like talking about when there's people that have – experience in pre-9-11 and post-9-11 military service. And a lot of people, uh, for, for most people that I talk to, it has been they were serving, you know, before 9-11, and then while they were in the service, 9-11 occurred. But for you, it's a little different. You served, got out, then 9-11 occurs, and then you get back in. Can you sort of just talk about the difference in environment you noticed in your first enlistment and your second enlistment? Well, one, the environment became a lot easier because, you know, I I knew what to expect as far as, you know, going back in the service. Um, I was older, you know, I was 30 years old at this point, you know, first time 17, now 30, and having another experience before. So it's a little different, um, but kind of the same thing. You just uh, did a different generation, which, of course, changes things. (laughs) Um, It did seem to get a little easier. But when it comes down to it and doing the job in the war zone, of course, it's a lot different war than Desert Storm was. Everybody's on the front lines, no matter what your MOS, uh, you know, whether you're male or female, everybody's on the front line. So it's a lot different war, a lot longer, um, definitely a lot tougher, I yeah. think, for some of us. Um, can you, you know, maybe, I don't know, you did four tours uh, in Iraq and, uh, you know, I don't know what other experiences you, uh, you had outside of that. There were noteworthy, but um, can you can you tell us about a, an experience or a story that you had during your time of service, whether it was the first enlistment or second, that maybe sums up your service, sort of is sort of the epitome of what your experience was like? Yeah, most of the stuff, I was a, a mic transportation, um, so I did anything from you know, bringing in infantry for raids to bringing supplies to hauling vehicles and a lot of humanitarian stuff. And I think that's what I really love the most is going into the towns and doing humanitarian and helping the locals uh, get through their country that's at war uh, and make helping them heal and get over that and moving forward. I think this is what I like the most about it. Um, 
I know one story that we don't hear a lot about um, that brings to mind in 2003. I know we dropped a lot of bomb and with little bomblets in it that you know make little minefields. Well, as we're moving forward through those, you know, we're, we're hitting our own bombs sometimes. So uh, there was one time we had a broke down truck and talking to the locals, and I had to use uh, the latrine, the bathroom. <laughs> and so I went to go around behind this tree. It was the only spot, and a little boy, a little Iraqi boy, stopped me, and he said, "No, Mister Boom Boom." <laughs> and I looked down, and there's two little bomblets that we had dropped. I wouldn't even seen them. I would have walked around that tree and maybe hit one or two of them. And so that little boy saved my life in 2003. And at that time, you're just so excited. You know, we're like, oh my God, check this out. I'm going to come blowing up. This little kid is cool. You know, it's kind of, you got to put it in the back of your mind and not really think about it. You just almost died. Um, <laughs> it's like it's crazy. Like that's the, you know, the mindset we have to have out there. And but when I got home and I tried to share the story with the family, it took about a year where I could talk about it and not cry and go, oh my God, I was almost not home. You know, your mindset's so different once you're home. And then, uh, yeah, sorry, I got squirrels in my head, and I'm going another direction. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, that's what you know. A lot, of, a lot of us are struggling with today is the mindset you have to have out there. Yeah. And then when you come home, to turn that off and and then realize, oh my God, I'm home, and what do I do now? And so that's that's the big struggle today. And somehow I got there from that. <laughs> uh. And it's 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 amazing. Those little stories like that are, I think, are really valuable. And that uh, just a little a little boy is like, nope, boom, boom, and like those two words uh, potentially saved your life. Tell me about your transition out of the military, um, and you can tell us about both, like your why you got out um, and sort of your experience, sort of immediately afterwards. Yeah, well, you know, I got out um, this time. Like, you know, I was forced into retirement, medically retired. Yeah. When my Humvee got, you know, hit by a roadside bomb in 2007, I was the only survivor out of five guys in the vehicle. And I came to the hospital here in San Antonio, and it was really hard. It was hard being forced to be retired and not do what I love to do anymore. Um, and then I felt hopeless. I felt useless. I felt like a burden to my family. I had survivor's guilt. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, did, I didn't want to be alive. You know, I prayed to God every night for that first year just to take me. It'd be easier for my family if I didn't make it. You know, they had to worry every time I had a surgery. You know, I'm at number 47 now. First two and a half years, I had two, uh, 42 surgeries. And just going through that, my family was stressed out and worrying about me. I didn't, I didn't like putting that on them because of my decisions. I didn't know why I was alive, why I survived. And so I, I just kept beating myself up over that at first, and it was really hard. But after a year, doing better and, and being able to do stuff on my own again, and, and healing, getting stronger, that uh, I realize I'm here. I must be here for a reason. So why am I here? I, I want to give back. I want to continue to serve somehow. How can I do that? And that stuff kind of all fell into place of just living my life and being positive. And I've been able to help other people, you know, um, look at life in another perspective. A lot of people can't fathom going through something like I went through and still being positive on the other end. So I learned by living my life and continue to chase my dreams that I could help other people. And I, I realized that, too, is the best revenge I can get for the poor guys that didn't make it home. You know, if I can continue to help other people in their lives today is the best revenge I can get. You know, if I could help more people than that guy I hurt that day or his whole life, or, then, you know, I got to do that. I could continue this mission to try to help others and continue to serve. Yeah. 
Um, so two questions I usually ask veterans um, about their transition. Uh, the first is usually, um, you know, if they had a, an emotional crisis when they got out. It sounds like uh, you definitely had um, some emotional challenges um, in that first year. And then the other one is, you know, how long did it take you to find that renewed purpose that so many veterans are trying to trying to find after they get out? Can you touch on that second one a little bit more? Yeah, it, it took a while there. You know, that first year I started being positive and I thought, okay, I could share my story. I can help others. Um, but I still was having trouble just dealing with myself and dealing with survivor's guilt. Uh, you know, a lot of us are lost when we get out, especially when we're, we're forced to retire. Um, we, we think it's going to be easy. Yay, I'm out. Now I'm going to go chill. And, and then it hits you like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And well, I can't do anything anymore. I'm useless. And you, you beat yourself up. And you think about the people that are still out there. Like, oh, I guess what? I could still be out there, you know, helping somebody. Um, but you go through all that. And a lot of us deal with survivor's guilt, you know, that we got to touch on. And I think the best way to look at that, which helped me, and I still got to remind myself 10 years later, um, that – you got to think about it. If you were the one that didn't make it home, if you were one of your battles that never made it, of course you would want your battle who did make it to live their life to the fullest, to keep doing whatever it is that drives them to live their life to the fullest. And of course that's what they want for us. So we got to continue to live for them, you know, and I think that's the, the best mind perspective. We got to put that in to help us move forward because that's really, truly what we would want. And that's what they want. Yeah, Absolutely. You mentioned you're still doing, you're still having surgeries. Like 10 years later, like what are these surgeries for? Well, the, my surgeries right now are more for my eyelids, you know, because I was burnt 38% of my body. The head was burnt to the skull. Um, my, they had to rebuild my total left eyelid, which I can't open or close. So they got to keep as much skin around that eye to protect it as possible. Interesting. Okay. And the scars pull it open. You know, as the scars heal and, and tighten and pull it pulls that eye open, so it exposes it too much. So I got to go in and get some more skin grafts on that, get it closed up a little bit more. <laughs> Forgive my. How do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a common question. Uh, <laughs> luckily, most people, it's called the Bell Housen syndrome or something. I, I don't know how to say it correctly, but uh, you know, most people when they close their eyes, their eyes will roll up. Yeah. Um, so when I sleep, my eyes roll up, and I put uh, lubrication in my eyes at night just to, to keep them from drying out too much. Okay. How long you got, you have comedian listed, um, on your Twitter profile. I was unaware that you, you did this. How long have you been doing comedy? Doing going on eight years now. Okay. Uh, I had my hand for two years and we tried to fix that. So we, we finally took off my hand. Um, I started doing, well, I was joking around all the time in the hospital. That was part of my recovery and dealing with everything. I think, you know, everybody in the military, has a sick sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And so does medical staff. So, uh, I was always joking around with the other, other guys and stuff and just trying to be, make light of everything. And my occupational therapist said, you should do stand up comedy. I'm like, ah, there's no way we could laugh at it here, but I can't go out to the general public and go, Hey, guess what? I got blown up. Isn't that funny? You know, they're not going to laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> See? But a sick Marine would do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, that's like I joke now. It's like, you know, since I'm burnt, you know, if I was a Marine, I wouldn't say Semper Fi. I'd say Semper Fry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're making the jokes because I feel a little better about laughing at them since you're the one proposing them. Um, 
what got me started in it. I actually went to go try comedy to prove her wrong that it won't work. <laughs> but the opposite happened. You know, I didn't get a lot of laughs at first, but it made me feel comfortable. It helped me to talk about it. It's kind of therapeutic for me to go out there and actually constructure these jokes and, and write them down and, and perform them. So it is another way of getting my message out there, my story in another way. Yeah. So like, so may, is your military service sort of the, um, the basis for a lot of the subjects you touch on in your comedy or what else do you, do you talk about? Yeah, I do a lot of self deprecating type stuff. Uh, you know, making fun of the burns. I talk about the way I look. I talk about what it's like to be burnt today. Um, you know, and all that stuff. And of course I even make fun of how I got blown up. That took me a while to write that one. <laughs> I, I used to tell people that, you know, this was just a rare birth effect that my mother had to work through her pregnancy in the circus as a fire eater. <laughs> oh, man. So I out how to tell the real thing, but I was able to do that too. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's challenging. Uh, that's for sure. As <laughs> a fire eater. Oh man. Uh, half the audience is laughing right now. Those are the Marines and soldiers. The other half is like, <laughs> like scared uh because they're uncomfortable that's everybody else yes (laughs) um tell me a couple of my friends use comedy um as their way of um um, you know dealing with similar things ptsd and just sort of survivor's guilt and stuff like that um can you can you tell me the progression that you noticed in um in being able to use it therapeutically and um, I don't know. Do you notice a difference between getting on stage and getting off the stage on just sort of how you feel emotionally? Well, yeah, one thing, it definitely helps me yeah. you know, with it and I feel good about it, but I kind of already got used to it. What it really does is help the audience. <laughs> it helps the strangers relax them to deal with what they're seeing right now. They're seeing this disfigured person. A lot of times you see someone in public like that, you don't know what to say to them. So it, it's really funny. I talk, I, I go and I talk to schools or the comedy shows and stuff like that. And when I first go in and people see me, they're like, Oh, look at that poor guy, like sitting at the bar having a beer by himself. And then they don't, you know, they don't realize I'm one of the comedians that night. <laughs> yeah. And then I get off the stage and it's a whole nother thing. Now they want, they'll come up to me. Now they'll talk to me. You know, it's so funny how their perspective changes and it, it helps them relax about everything and it opens the, up for conversation. Where where do you um, where do you typically do do you go to, uh, go to places around San Antonio? Where do you go? Yeah, I, I started here in San Antonio, just going to open mics three times a week and practicing. And next thing I know, people are asking me to do comedy shows. So I've gone all over um, Canada, the Netherlands, Germany, the United States. I do a lot of fundraising with my comedy and story to help other veterans. Yeah, uh, I just did a show on Veterans Day in Las Vegas with Brad Garrett at his club in MGM. Um, I took two other veteran comedians. We, we call ourselves Crosshairs Comedian and Crosshairs Comedy, and we do we comedy. It's two Army guys, Air Force guy, and we tell jokes. Brad Garrett hosted the show, and we raised ten and a half thousand dollars for the Lone Survivor Foundation. Okay. So that's mainly how what I do is a lot of fundraising stuff to, to help these organizations that are helping the vets. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, you're also. Uh, a motivational speaker, which uh, I suppose is the, the serious form of the, uh, I guess, was being a speaker and being a comedian are both serving the same thing, but one's probably more serious while the other one is uh, more lighthearted. Um, tell me about being uh, a motivational speaker and sort of what your message is when you uh, do engagements. 
Yeah, you know, my, my message is basically my story and, and having to come from the brinks of death and overcoming adversity and, and realizing we're all here for a reason. And, 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 you know, life isn't that bad. We all got our stuff to go through, whether you've been blowing up or you're, you're having a bad day at work. You know, we all have our issues and, and they're the worst issues because there are issues. <laughs> you know, every always like, oh, I don't. I can't even complain to you. Like, yeah, you can. We we all have our stuff. We got to battle, and especially when it's internal and in the mind is the hardest part. So I, I kind of share that story. I use the tools that I use to get through it with the comedy, with the writing, with the sharing, um, all these things that we need to do. Um, you know, and I try to help people look at life. You know, if I can do this, imagine what you could do. You know, it's it's not hey, oh, look at me, I'm great, huh? I'm awesome, man. I didn't, I, I made it. Look at me, what I'm doing. It's more, I did this. If I can do this, you can do it type thing. You know, I, I want to share with people that it really is um, possible to do what you want to do. But a lot of us will doubt ourselves, and so we we don't try. And so I just try to motivate them to try. Like if I can do this and you need to go back to school and you to make get your better position at work, then you can do it. You can find ways to do it. You do a little bit at a time. You take those baby steps in life, and then eventually you got that big goal finished with the little milestones. Do you, does, uh, does VA assist you with any of your, your, do you get healthcare at VA? Yeah, I got VA, uh, plus, you know, I still got my TRICARE and everything sure. like that. I'm medically retired. So yeah, I do a little bit of both, uh, with medical and everything. And so yeah, I'm, I'm well taken care of. I, I, I got no complaints. I got a retirement check. It pays my bills. I'm able to help and, and give back a lot to, to the communities and other veterans. So yeah, uh, I can't complain really. Have you pursued any higher education? I haven't. I do have vocational rehab, and I can I can use that. Um, one is finding time to do it. Right. I'm so bad at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to do like the vocational rehab stuff, or I have to go and learn that exact job. I can't do your basic yeah, <laughs> math, sure. English. I'll go crazy. Yeah. Um, I need to, whatever it is. I need to learn that. Even that's what I did before my college. Now that I have from before when I was out before is automotive and radio broadcasting. <laughs> nice. Yes. I have, um, I have a question for you that, um, you know, if you're comfortable with answering, answering, I'd really love to hear your insight on this. Yeah. Um, you know, for the, I mean, really since the beginning of these two wars, um, we've, there's often, spurts of patriotism that you'll see online that are that battle certain uh i don't know they try to make some sort of patriotic point and i've seen your face i've seen kyle carpenter's face i've seen jr martinez's face um used in these patriot what i'll what i'll call patriotic guilt memes right how does that make you feel when you are online or Facebook or Twitter and you see your your face being used as uh, used in that way? First of all, it's not my face. My face is somewhere in Iraq. But <laughs> these graphs are great. <laughs> very, very well. Your image, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you know, I do see that stuff and – it doesn't bother me, um, you know. I, as long as they're using it for the positive of what I believe in, <laughs> and someone's not going, "Oh, look at this poor soldier," right. I don't want them to feel sorry for me. As long as they're using it in a positive form, I have no problem with it at all, and it, it gets a little message out there, you know. And maybe that brings someone on to look at my page and you go, "Oh, wow!" And maybe it's someone else that that needed that help that day. Yeah. So, you know, if it helps one person by someone doing that, then it, then it's worth it. 
Okay. Very well. Bobby, I'm sure plenty of people have been listening and they've either been laughing or they've been sitting there with their eyes wide open because they can't, they don't believe the conversation they hear right now. Uh, but if, you know, if anybody, uh, is finding, uh, this conversation, your attitude inspiring, where can people, how can people like check out your comedy or your speaking? How can people find out more about you? Of course, you can find out more about me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, but as far as like web pages to go to, and I, I started a speakers bureau with my partner Jamie. It's called Bravo Seven Four Eight, and we have collected over fifteen veterans that want to share their story about military sexual trauma, PTSD, leadership, overcoming adversity. We got music guys, we got comedians, so we got a bunch of different entertainers that want to help give back, um, including Nate Boyer. Um, that you can go to Bravo Seven Four Eight and see our stories. And what we're doing to inspire and stuff like that. Yeah, Nate Boyer is great. I've I've had the opportunity to talk with him on a different program, uh, and he's he's just such a wonderful character who is just trying to do it, it, literally trying to do as much as he can for the veteran community, and it's really inspiring. Yeah, no, great guy. Bobby, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me and the audience, and and most of all, sir, thank you for your service to our country. Appreciate it. Thank you too for your service, brother. I was a gunner's mate, Tonkin Golf. Logistics, Ramstein. Medic, Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Bobby admitted that he doesn't use education benefits yet, but has considered using voc rehab. Vocational rehab and employment is a benefit provided by VA to assist with job training, employment accommodations, resume development, and job-seeking coaching. To learn more about these services, visit benefits.va.gov slash voc rehab, V-O-C rehab. Today's veteran of the day is Mildred Partlow. Mildred served in the Marine Corps Women's Reserve during World War II. She was stationed at Camp Lejeune and served as an airplane mechanic. Mildred passed away in 2002. We honor her service. To read Mildred's full write-up and to learn how to nominate your own veteran of the day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 20. Thank you so much for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time here with me. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DEPT Vet Affairs for more from our veteran community. If you have any questions you'd like to have addressed on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA Podcast or email us newmedia at va.gov. If you go to the show notes of this episode, that'll be at blogs.va.gov. Just click on this episode's blog. Links to things mentioned here will be available there, so you don't maybe don't have to memorize uh, or try to replay. You can go there, and I will have all the links mentioned here available on those show notes. That's a good reference point for that. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. Mm-hmm.